So we're going to look at this issue of HIV-AIDS in three chapters or three parts today. We're going to open up with a little sermonette, not a full-fledged talk, but a short little exploration into what, are the, what does the Bible say about why a church should be engaging in the preeminent issues of the day. With that foundation, we're going to look at uh, part two, is kind of our philosophical approach to engaging in this issue of, you know, the theme for this year being universal access and human rights. We're going to look at our perspective and our philosophical approach to engaging that particular theme and that issue. And then lastly, you'll have an opportunity to hear from some members of the Warehouse in Africa team, because they've got some really cool information for you and some really cool updates on our partnership with a church in Zimbabwe committed to combating HIV-AIDS in their community there. Now, as I was preparing for this talk, a couple fears raced into my mind. Issue number one is because we are talking about universal access, in particular our partnership in Zimbabwe, fear number one was that we would walk away thinking that this issue of HIV-AIDS is an African problem. And make no mistake about it, uh, in sub-Saharan Africa. It's a huge pandemic and problem, but the issue of HIV-AIDS affects all of us, regardless of where we are in the world. And so it's kind of an unsettling and perhaps disturbing intro to where we're going today. As one of the pastors of this church, it's really important for me to just say a couple things that are really direct and maybe uncomfortable. And the first thing is, if we're going to think globally, we really do need to act locally, and that starts with each and every one of us. If you're not married, and if you're sexually active, you need to know your status. You just need to. You need to get to a health clinic. You need to get to your doctor. You need to do a blood draw, a mouth swab. Bruce and I had that done a couple years ago. Know your status. It starts there. Absolutely non-negotiable. Some of you have been putting that off for too long. And then it really doesn't matter when it comes to the spread of global HIV-AIDS, a pandemic that is absolutely positively 100% preventable. The ABCs are as applicable in Uganda as they are here. Some of you know the ABCs of HIV-AIDS. And it will be perhaps unsurprising for some of you to hear this coming from a church, but you need to hear it anyway. A is abstain. Nothing prevents the spread of HIV like waiting. A, abstinence. B, be faithful. When you do get married, be faithful to your partner. And C, if for whatever reason you don't pursue abstinence, if for whatever reason you're choosing not to be faithful, I think those two are, the, are two extraordinarily bad decisions. But if you choose not to pursue those paths, then wear a condom or make sure your partner wears a condom because condoms are effective in preventing the spread of sexually transmitted diseases. Absolutely non-negotiable stuff. And I know that's kind of a sobering way to kind of lead into our morning this morning, but these are things that we've got to talk about, and we've got to talk about it every year so that we know the facts that we can communicate them to our friends and loved ones, and that can, we can be a part of a generation that turns the tide on the preeminent healthcare crisis of our day. Now, fear number two was, um, I forget what fear number two, oh, fear number two was, 
that we would leave today thinking that this Sunday was all about us giving ourselves a pat on the back. Oh, yay, look what Warehouse is doing. And you need to understand, when Steve said well, we've known about this information for 30 years, it hit me. I'm like, no, wait a sec, his math is wrong. But he's absolutely right. We've known about HIV, AIDS in this country for 30 years. Warehouse has been around for 10, and we're just now really starting to move on this. So we are playing catch-up. And it's with real regret that I say that we're where we are today um, without having done more. Some of you have been incredibly patient as we've engaged in this issue slowly. But know that this, isn't, this Sunday isn't about an attaboy for us. It's about a wake-up call for all of us, exciting news, and opportunities for us to engage. So with those fears kind of laid on the table, thanks for being my, uh, my counseling office here, um, let's engage with a biblical text and find out why in the world would we be talking about HIV AIDS in a church on Sunday morning in the first Sunday of December. It's supposed to be Advent, for goodness sakes. Why are we talking about HIV AIDS? We're going to look at a very familiar passage of Scripture to many of you, some of Jesus' most famous words. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 6. If you have your handheld device, you can pull up version and look at Luke chapter 4, rather, Luke chapter 4, and let's read this text together. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues. Synagogues were essentially the churches of the day. And everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. Jesus of Nazareth, there you go. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He was a faithful church attender. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. You can find out what he's about to read if you turn to Isaiah chapter 61. So unrolling the scroll, because he didn't have a leather-bound Bible, he had a scroll, he unwound the scroll, and he read this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, and here's where the story turns. Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you'll tell me, do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. Capernaum was a neighboring town where he just performed lots of miracles and the news spread about all the great things he was doing. But Jesus continued, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. In other words, to a non-Jewish person, to a Gentile. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, Elisha followed in the footsteps of Elijah. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian, another Gentile, a military commander from a neighboring nation. Now all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the cliff was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But being Jesus, he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. A couple of things I want to draw our attention to in our brief time in this text this morning. Number one... There has existed in churches in North America for many, many years a tension between the left and the right, a tension between liberals and conservatives within the church. 
And essentially, the tension has been over this. Liberal churches have tended to emphasize the social justice of Jesus over the doctrine and the theology of Jesus, while conservative churches on the right have tended to emphasize doctrine over social justice. There's this tension. It's kind of been an either-or tension. But I want to draw, what I want to draw your attention to is that Jesus does not really give us the option of being either-or, at least not by his life. Jesus lived this both-and tension. And if you will, let's, Ed, if you could pull up the slide where Jesus reads from, in our Bibles, what we would find in Isaiah chapter um, 61. Now, to the liberals in the church, Jesus actually was poor. He actually did proclaim good news to people who were impoverished. But yet, to the conservatives, Jesus also spoke to those people who were spiritually impoverished. Jesus did actually restore the sight to the liberal side of the equation. He actually did physically restore sight to blind people. That literally happened. But to the conservatives, he also opened the minds of those who were spiritually blind. It was a both and. And this is really fleshed out in greater detail in the next chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 5, maybe my favorite story of Jesus as he engaged with the issues of the day. Jesus was in a particular town. He was healing lots of people. He was performing all these miraculous signs. People were bringing the sick, the lame to him. And Jesus was particularly impressed with some friends who laid one of their buddies, a blind or a paralytic, they laid him at Jesus' feet. They did so in a very creative way, if you want to look at that in Luke chapter 5. And Jesus was stunned by their faith, and Jesus said, he looked down at this man who was paralyzed, and the crowd was watching him, and he said, man, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders at the time were kind of, they were watching Jesus interact with these folks, and the religious leaders were kind of grumbling and mumbling to themselves, saying, wait a second, only God can forgive sins. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, went on, and he said, what's easier to do? for me to tell this paralytic, get up and walk, or that your sins are forgiven? And that's a tough question. The religious leaders didn't quite know how to answer that one. But he says, I am here because I'm the Son of God, and I have the authority to forgive sins and to do exactly what Isaiah 61 was talking about. And he told the man, get up and walk. And this paralyzed man had his strength restored He got up, picked up his mat, and walked out, and people were amazed. But notice the both and. To the left side of the equation, Jesus actually healed this man, a poor man. But notice to the right side of the equation, Jesus did not back down on the doctrinal theological reality of who he was, the Son of God, who came not to give us great Christmas songs, but who came to save us from our sins, to forgive us of our sins. And the syllogism that Jesus was laying out was, you are right, only God can forgive sins. I have forgiven this man of his sins, therefore, Jesus was saying he is God. And the religious establishment didn't like that at all. But note the both and. Social action, biblical justice, doctrinal theological reality. That's why at Warehouse, we have chosen, in the issue of global HIV-AIDS, that's why we have chosen not to simply link up with an NGO somewhere, but to link up with a pastor of a church in a town in Zimbabwe. Because this pastor, whose name is Kephas, believes as we do in the biblical justice 
of healing people and meeting people's actual needs. But he simultaneously believes in delivering the truth and the hope and the promises of Jesus to his community, to his congregation, and to his nation. That's why we have chosen to engage in that particular way with, by partnering with a local church in a different part of the world. A second takeaway, though, from this particular text is maybe cryptic to some of you, and it's the reference that Jesus gives to these Old Testament prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And, of course, these were stories that the people in his hometown did not want to hear. These were, this was a dire, dark, evil time in the nation of Israel that Jesus was recounting. Wicked kings in the northern kingdom of Israel were doing nasty and terrible things. There was famine. And Jesus is recounting two particular incidents where these preeminent, famous prophets did not heal Jewish people, but went out of their way to perform miracles to non-Jewish people, to Gentiles. Most of the people in this room are Gentiles, me included. And the nation of Israel during Jesus' time was saying the, people, the Jewish people were waiting for deliverance because they were under Gentile uh, Roman occupation and oppression, and they were waiting to be liberated. And frankly, a lot of them did not want to have anything to do with good news for the Gentiles. But Jesus was reminding his listeners there that the plan, that the redemptive plan of God in history has always been to save the entire world. Then, in fact, the promises delivered to Father Abraham many, many years ago in the earliest pages of Genesis, God's word to Abraham was this, your descendants, Abraham, will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, and all the world will be blessed through you and through your offspring. And that covenant promise that God made to Abraham was fulfilled in Jesus, because God's heart has always been that through the Jews, through the Jewish people, through the Hebrews, that the whole world would be, would be blessed. We are here today because of the life, death, and resurrection of a Jewish carpenter who died on our behalf. And some of his listeners didn't want to have anything to do with that because they were saying, what about us? But there's an interesting wrinkle also. And the NET, the Net Bible, has an interesting commentary note about this particular reference to these prophets as well. And it's something like this. You know, God, in the end, when it comes to the preeminent issues of our day, God doesn't need us. He doesn't. He doesn't need us. He didn't need Elijah. He didn't need Elisha. But rather, he chose to work in and through them to accomplish his good purposes. And today, God is offering you and I the opportunity to participate in his redemptive plan in the world with the preeminent healthcare crisis of our day. He gives us that opportunity to participate in his redemptive plan. And the question for all of us is, why would we opt out of that? Why would we take the, the, the path of least resistance and choose not to engage in the single most significant health care issue of our day? A skeptical and waiting world is ready for the church to engage, not simply with doctrinal truth, but with the hands and feet and the love of Jesus. And that's our opportunity this morning. Now, the question becomes, well, how does Warehouse choose to do that? Because obviously you are choosing to do that because you're talking about it on Sunday. There are lots of different ways that different churches around North America have chosen to engage globally in the issue of HIV-AIDS. There's no one right way, but this is the way that Warehouse has chosen to engage. I mentioned that we're partnering with a pastor 
at a church in, Zim in Zimbabwe. We're doing that through a missions organization called SIM, and we're a part of their Hope for AIDS initiative, HOPE, H-O-P-E. Commitment to home-based care, which is the hands and feet of Jesus. Commitment to orphan care, where orphans are cared for and they actually can participate in the renewed life of a community. Prevention and enabling. Enabling and identifying local indigenous leaders who can turn the tide of HIV AIDS in their local community. And in particular, what Warehouse is pursuing is looking at this enabling opportunity through what are called income-generating activities, IGAs. Activities that generate income. Small businesses. Because when wealth begins to be generated and income begins to be create, uh, generated and trade happens, the fabric of a, of a community begins to change. And there are two very influential drivers or, or authors and speakers who have helped us shape our vision for what this looks like. Many of you have heard us throughout the years reference Dr. Robert Lupton, a pastor down at a church in Atlanta, in his very, very influential book for us called Compassion, Justice, and the Christian Life, Rethinking Ministry to the Poor. Some of you have read that. Some of you need to read it. It's on Amazon. Go get it. It's a quick read, a fascinating read. And in Chapter 7, Dr. Lupton has what's called his Betterment to Development chapter. In short, it's the don't do for others what they can do for themselves. And in fact, what they want to do for themselves. And to give you an example of what this looks like, I am a sucker for 80s music. And what Christmas time means for me is I get to hear band aids sing, Feed the World. Paul Young, Simon Laban, George Michael, Boy George, Phil Collins on drums, Bananarama. Yes, I said Bananarama in church. Feed the world. Let them know it's Christmas time. I heard it yesterday. Man, what a difference that made. <laughs> but if Dr. Robert Lupton and Warehouse 242 were to rewrite the chorus of that song, perhaps with permission from Bob Geldof, instead of saying, feed the world, let them know it's Christmas time, the IGA or betterment to development approach would be, let the world feed themselves and let them know it's Christmas time. That's well, maybe a little bit more difficult to tap your feet to that one. But that's the betterment to development approach. Don't do for others what they can do for themselves, and in fact, what they want to do for themselves. And some of you who are less inclined to read but are very inclined to watch TED Talks, some of you may need to watch again or maybe watch for the first time Dr. Hans Rosling's TED Talk, one of the most viewed TED Talks within the history of the TED Conference, New Insights on Poverty. Fascinating a graphical representation of the difference that wealth generation makes in small developing nations and towns and what it does for life expectancy and how when you, when you generate wealth in small developing areas, how it changes the trajectory of a local community. Absolutely fascinating. We've got a link to it on our website. Watch that if you do nothing else as a, as a takeaway from today because that, again, is the income-generating approach. Now, to unpack this further... What I'd like to do is I'd like to call up three members of the Warehouse in Africa team, uh, Laura Strahl, Stavon Talevsky, and James Dudley. And they are going to not fix my microphone because it's rebelling against me, but they're going to uh, answer some questions about next steps for Warehouse in Africa. I'm going to take this off, and Laura, I'm going to give this to you.
So a couple questions for you three. Laura, you have been our longest, most ardent champion for engaging in this issue of global HIV AIDS and asking how does the church with love and relevance engage in this issue. You actually used to work for SIM, and so you know about this Hope for AIDS initiative very, very well. Hope for AIDS is in many different countries in sub-Saharan Africa. So of all the countries in Africa that we could have partnered with, why Zimbabwe? Um, well, we all know that there's huge statistics and huge need and um, lots of relief efforts going on. Um, so we really had to come together as a team and pray about where would our impact be um, for HIV AIDS and who would we partner with and we spent a lot of time doing that. Um, we did have this connection with SIM, um, another um, person who used to go to church here, Melissa Lukenbaugh, um, also worked with SIM and through our connection with them we started to learn more about the IGA initiative and we just really found that our hearts resonated with that philosophy um, to restore dignity to people and to see them living sustainable lives. Um, so we actually, through SIM, um, they helped coordinate a trip for our team to go to South Africa and Botswana to investigate the IGAs there. Um, nothing panned out there, um, lots of need, but doors weren't opening. Um, but God did arrange for us to meet Cephas there. He happened to be in the area, and um, we just fell in love with him. And Cephas is a Zimbabwean with a huge heart, a huge vision, a head full of ideas for IGAs, and um, we just really connected with him. So um, why Zimbabwe? He invited us to go there. We sent two of our members out. They. Um, heard dozens of business proposals. Um, they met the people. Um, they were able to experience how resourceful, how passionate, how savvy and experienced the people are there and how ready they are to um, get their businesses going, um, new ones or even ones that they already have had. Um, so we just really felt such a knitting of our hearts with this place. There was a dynamic leader there, a pastor of a church, um, a local initiative, um, and it just, all the puzzle pieces came together for us, and we just went from there. Awesome. Now, uh, Stavon, you are familiar to many in this community, maybe not by your face, but by your artwork, which has been on display throughout different portions of Warehouse's life in the art gallery. So a lot of people know you as a very creative person, but professionally, you're a small business banker. And so you bring not only your passion for engaging in these global issues to Warehouse, but you also bring your professional experience to the Warehouse and Africa team. And uh, we are learning now about this new business that our partners in Zimbabwe are bringing forward, a chicken farm, where they're gonna be raising and selling chickens and they're calling it live birds. What makes you so excited about the opportunity of an income-generating activity that has to do with chicken farming? I would say, bottom line, what gets me most excited is there's a real chance for success here. And it's uh, the, the knowledge and experience that the individuals in Zimbabwe have about this particular trade. And I would say to you, as a, as a business banker, um, in the United States alone, to give you a bit of perspective, 50% of all businesses fail before the end of their third year. And 
outside of the, the uncontrollable events around economic impacts and other, other forces, the main reason for failure is the lack of knowledge and experience about the business being ventured, believe it or not. And although Zimbabwe is on another continent and it's another country with a host of other challenges, this, this same business sense, knowing your business, uh, is paramount to its success. So I'm pretty excited that we have a, a group of individuals that really know what they're getting into. Now, with this as a backdrop, uh, the team in Zimbabwe and the warehouse team here evaluated a number of IGA opportunities. We looked at all the, the typical attributes in starting a business, the financial analysis, the customer demand, the market saturation, competitive landscape, all those real neat business terms. Uh, we, we took a lot of a, a close look into those. And keeping those in check, the one thing that was really compelling came back to the experience and the knowledge about the poultry business. And that's what really separated it from all the other businesses. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at the individuals that, that are pictured up here, these are folks that are, have um, uh, degrees in agriculture and, and poultry production. They have uh, experience in farming. They belong uh, in a congregation that have similar experiences that provide resources and counsel for them. And what, what is really, really cool about this is that the individuals that will be employed are the orphans themselves. So they will really reap the rewards from a successful business. And in many cases, some of these orphans are the breadwinners in their family. Mm -hmm. So this is really fantastic. That's what ultimately excites me, is that this experience, uh, along with the council and their drive and enthusiasm, uh, and we're just set up for success. Now, uh, to James Dudley, who is one of uh, the newer members of the team but a longtime member of Warehouse. James, you bring international perspective and legal perspective uh, and expertise to the team. Warehouse has never done something like this before. We've, this is kind of uh, micro-lending, micro-finance, and we've, we haven't done something like that before. So how, in our emerging partnership with Zimbabwe, with this community in Zimbabwe, do we ensure integrity and accountability with our partnership? Well, Mark, integrity and, and accountability go to the very heart of who we are as a church. And we have discovered in our journey as a committee that, you know, we are a family of Christians, that we are, and we are relating to another family of Christians. And we realize in this relationship that is emerging here that we're all part of the same family. And we speak the same spiritual language. And at the very heart of that are all the distinctives that only the people of Christ can bring to an activity like this. It's more than just business creation. You know, it's more than just a developmental activity in an economic sense or uh, in the sense of health care or social improvement. This is something that has a vital spiritual dynamic, and we enhance and protect that dynamic when we are accountable to each other and when we work together with integrity. Now, practically, how does it happen? We have created an agreement of support which memorializes in writing the promises that we, as the people of Warehouse, are making to our new friends and partners in Africa and the promises they are making to us in return. What we are promising them is that we will give them a loan that will serve as seed capital for this new poultry business, about $5,000. And we expect that loan to be repaid as the business develops over the next two years. We're also giving them ongoing management support 
uh, by the way of advice, consultancy, if you like. They, on the other hand, are promising that they are going to run this business using all of the talent that they possess with integrity in accordance with goals, objectives, and standards that are set forth in this agreement of support. Now, if you're curious as to what the agreement says and what we have put in writing and offered to our friends in Africa, you can find the text of the agreement at our Facebook site on the Internet. So I would encourage you to go to that site, read through the documents if you like. If you have questions, technical questions about what the documents mean or how they will be implemented, please let us know. We'd be happy to answer those questions for you at any time. But that is the effort we are making to ensure accountability and integrity. And we believe that it will succeed because, again, we, as the more we get to know Kaifas, the more we get to know his, his friends and coworkers, the more persuaded we are that we share the same vision, that we share the same passion, and that we're starting from the same place, and that we can walk all the way to the destination God gives us. That's excellent. So here we are, Stavon, last question for you. Here we are, December 2010. Um, a number of years ago, uh, really with the encouragement of people like Laura and Melissa and some others, um, Bruce and I went to a conference held in California at Saddleback Church. Rick and Kay Warren, Bill and Lynn Hybels hosted that event. Really kind of a mandate for the church to be engaged and to, to no longer be on the sidelines. Over the last couple of years, uh, we've, we've had um, teams that have gone out and, and explored through Southern Africa. CAFIS has been here. We've had a, an art gallery exhibit and so forth. So there's been progress, there's been momentum, but now here we are, December 2010, and we're looking ahead toward the next six months into the next year. Kind of outline for us what you see as the, the mile markers up ahead and what we can look forward to. Sure. Um, the, way, the best way I could describe this over the last two years, it's been kind of like a roller coaster. We've been just slowly and surely climbing up that, that hill, and we're right now at the peak and we're coming down. And it's really exciting because we're holding on with, with both hands, and there's quite a bit to do, and it's moving very quickly. And we want to be, take advantage of that momentum. So the first thing that's, that's very important is that we establish the business plans and the financial plans. This is very important uh, for a number of reasons. Is it's really to prevent any, any surprises in the future. The better you plan, the better you can manage your risk. Uh, second is the agreement itself that, uh, that James uh, eloquently spoke about. This is the roles and responsibility between these two groups. That's Warehouse uh, as well as the Live Birds business. Uh, that will actually, we're expecting that back tomorrow. We've already provided that, and we're expecting some edits. Uh, then thirdly is the infrastructure. Just simply, you know, sometimes we take advantage of, you know, funds transfer. How do we get money from our bank here to the Bank of Africa in, in Central Africa? And all the accounting and the reporting that has to go on with that. Uh, and then finally, we, we launch the business. End of January, early February, we, we start the business. We open the farm and, and begin raising chickens with our partners in, in uh, Zimbabwe. And then I would say the major milestone, I would say the vision for us is uh, uh, this time next year, our, our hope is that we will see the fruits of, of this partnership blossom with repayment of the loan that we can repurpose into other IGAs. So the vision is, is that we open up a portfolio of IGAs, uh, kind of maybe similar to a mutual fund of IGAs, so we can make even greater impact and touch even more lives and, and more orphans can be empl employed by these types of businesses. And that's really the ultimate vision. But our hope, and, and to take it a little bit further, is that 
as you hear this message, that you get inspired, uh, that it's provocative, that you want to be involved. Because it's just a small team up here trying to manage one IGA. Imagine if we could have five or six. You could be involved in something like this, and you don't have to be a business major to do it, believe me. Uh, all it takes is your heart and mind, and, and you can make a difference. And I, if I can just take it just one step, one step further than that, personally, it has really made an impact for me. Um, I'm, um, I've been very fortunate to be the one that gets to speak with Kaifis and, and, and the folks in Zimbabwe on a weekly basis on Skype, on the Internet. And I tell you, it's, it's been, and it sounds kind of business-like, and I don't want it to sound too cold, but it, there's actually an, an amazing aspect of this is that when we start our business talk with prayer and end it with prayer, just last week, uh, you know, my friend called me brother. And it was pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. So I just invite you to be involved and engaged and ask as many questions and, and be a part of it. This is, this is going to be a great journey for all of us. Thank you. Mm, that's awesome. As we close our time, if Kathy Graves and Kenneth Strahl and Catherine Sherrod would come up, we're just going to close our time together just praying for what's ahead both for this team and also for our partnership um, in Zimbabwe. And again, I close with the theme. We get to do this. We don't have to. God doesn't need us. But we get to be a part of participating in his redemptive plan for the world. And what an opportunity. Many of you uh, will need to um, plunge into this content in your small groups this week and pray more intentionally. A lot of you are going to need to make uh, go into the Warehouse in Africa Facebook page, a regular part of your Facebook experience. Some of you are going to need to do some reading and some internet viewing of Dr. Rossing's talk. Learn more about it and engage in this issue, which has tremendous opportunity to, to teach us uh, as we learn what global partnership looks like. So let's just close our time this morning in prayer, um, asking God to be a part of what's next. Holy God, Holy Father, we come before you with grateful hearts humbled that you would ask us to be a part of a partnership with CAFIS and his church and this income-generating activity in Zimbabwe, half a world away. Thank you. We pray for blessing upon that church and upon that team as they launch this business. Give them great success. Give them great courage and insight and bless it and make it grow, please, Lord. And as CAFIS has the dual responsibility of just caring for a community that is infected and, and affected by HIV AIDS, we pray that you would give him and his, his congregation strength to meet the needs of those people who are suffering around him. Thank you for his courageous and inspiring leadership. We know that we will, in the end, uh, end up learning a lot more from him and his congregation um, than he will from us. Thank you for his courage and his heart. And thank you for each member of this team for Ken and Laura, for Kathy and for Catherine, for James and for Stavon, for their commitment, their relentless effort to uh, pursue this project and to bring before us the good news of what's ahead. Bless each person on this team, on this stage. Give them great joy. Give them uh, protection. Bless their own lives and uh, help us to learn from them as they've done so much groundwork and so much heavy lifting. Help us to learn from this so that it would be catalytic for us to uh, extend more micro-enterprising loans to aspiring entrepreneurs in Zimbabwe and that it would uh, begin to change the face of local communities. That is our hope and that is our prayer. And uh, we ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. How about 
a hand for our team, which has so faithfully served us well. And as we move into this next uh, portion of our morning, uh, this is our opportunity to respond to what we've heard.